and good morning hope you guys are safe and well and got back from houston still a little jet lag i'm just kidding it's only two hours uh time difference but we'll wait a few seconds for you guys to hop on and get the show started we got logan with us this morning good morning everyone happy tuesday and can you guys let us know if the audio is coming through clearly it's working for you guys if so just drop a thumbs up in the chat here we go good morning uh bryce ed eileen uh, and a couple of facebook users i said don't see your you guys's name down here so uh good morning hope you guys are safe and well and uh we got some good questions uh, today and some very not so good questions, but <laughs> it's all good. Uh, good morning, Amin. Um, so we'll get started. Uh, Logan's going to read me off this week's questions you guys sent over. And uh, and I know one of you guys, I think, was questioning about my property on 333, so I can elaborate a bit on that. I just came back from Houston last night uh, buying that. 12-story building for a third time, so I can talk about that as well. So let's get uh, let's get this show on the road. All right, and uh, we'll go through the weekly rundown for all of our new members here as well. So when we go live, we use this app called StreamYard. And for those of you who are new, if you can, click the StreamYard link in the description of this live call. You'll click a couple buttons, and that way Manny can see your name and our end uh, while we're going through the live calls. And also want to shout yeah. out our new members who have joined over the past week or two. Uh, we have Salome, Jeff, Hisham, Enoch, Jeffrey Lim, Nelson Castillo, Aaron Go, Niradin. Um, welcome to all of you. Welcome. I'm excited to have you. All right. And with that, we'll go ahead and hop into our Q&A for the week. Uh, so the first question is going to be from Jack Ball. He said, when we applied for a loan for the commercial investment property, um, how important is our current income? Well, the lenders want to see some disposable income. They want to make sure you do have income, right? So your the property's income is not going to be, you're not going to be a burden on the property's income. Uh, I've seen that happen, and the lenders have seen it many times, where you buy a property and you suck out all the cash flow. You don't pay the property taxes because you have no income, and you lease a new Ferrari. And uh, so they don't want to see that happen. So you go to see two years of disposable income and your tax return. Doesn't have to be a lot, even if you rent uh, an apartment and paying, you know, two thousand a month, um, but you do show forty thousand dollars income on your tax return. Uh, they're okay with it. It doesn't have to be, you know, six figure, seven figure income on your tax return. But they want to see disposable income uh, for two years. Uh, you know, if you're showing negative income and tax return, that's a problem. So, but doesn't have to be a lot of income is what I'm saying. Just common sense. They want to make sure you have positive cash flow. You have a little bit of savings every month based on your personal, uh, you know, expenses. All right. Next question from Eden Lee. It's good to see you. He said, do you view commercial property tenants as clients, slash customers of your office building or retail center? Uh, is there a difference in how you view a tenant versus a client or customer? He said, my background is in e-com. I strive to provide an excellent client-customer experience every time. 
still I'm unsure if that applies to a commercial landlord or tenant relationship. Oh, absolutely does. I mean, I look at them as my business partners. They're giving me portion of their business income every month in, you know, in terms of rent. Uh, of course, you want to keep them happy. Um, you know, a, a tenant landlord relationship is very much a key uh, to keep them in your property. Um, every December, I send, uh, you know, a box of chocolate to all my tenants in every single state. Uh, I do send them letter thanking them for being on the property. And uh, also, I do keep in touch with them if there is any issues with the property. You want to maintain your property. You want to be a you don't want to be a slumlord, and that's how you will start losing tenants. And also, tenants are not willing to pay you a premium uh, or over market rent, uh, or even sometimes market rent uh, if you are not taking care of the property and the tenants' space. So it's very much a partnership. Um, you want to call it a client, customer, business partner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're definitely there to add value to your property and you're there to provide uh, space to them so they can, you know, operate their business, make money. All right. Next question from Enoch Kwok, a uh, new member. I think you joined on Sunday. So welcome. Um, he said, how do you structure a different, a deal differently for owner occupied properties? Uh, would you recommend an SBA? Yeah, typically, I mean, SBA has limits, but most people fall within the limit. Uh, why not? You get 90% financing where a tra traditional lender would uh, give you 75% uh, LTV, loan to value. So you would have to put 25% down versus 10% down with SBA. Uh, that's the structure I would use if I'm occupying a property. You must occupy 50% or more. Uh, so that there are uh, requirements uh, from SBA, but most definitely. All right, next question from Watchtech, good to see as well. You said, you mentioned you typically look for 70,000 population within three miles. Mm -hmm. Would you consider a 24 unit multifamily property with below market rents for $42,000 a unit, but the three mile population is 20,000? Since it's apartments, I think mm -hmm. I might still be able to rent them out, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, you know, density is really for commercial property, but it does apply to apartments as well. Um, you know, density, the higher the density, the higher demand, right? More people, more people are going to need housing, more people are going to go to shopping centers. So density is very important. Uh, back to your question, 42000 a door. Well, I don't know how much below market rents are on this property. If it's 30% below market, I would probably consider it. And uh, more importantly, what's the price per foot? Uh, when you're talking about low density area, that means more land, right? You're going to compete with new developments, potentially. There's a lot of land. Land's cheap, very likely, where there is low density. So what are you buying it for, 60 bucks a foot or 160 bucks a foot, which could easily compete with uh, you know, new developments? But there's a lot of question marks in your question <laughs> before I can respond. But I would shy away from uh, buying anything in that low of a density, no matter how good the deal is uh, because of the demand. Awesome. So next question is from our member, Hisham. He said, we have 120000 ready to invest. Mm -hmm. We have excellent credit uh, score. And applying for a real estate license this month to open an LLC in January. Uh, question one, 
do we have to get pre-approved from the bank first or do we have to hunt for the best suitable property first? Well, I don't know what are you uh, intending to buy with 120,000. I'm assuming it's going to be residential, probably apartment. Uh, in that case, an absolute uh, pre-qual letter, it would go a long ways for you to get, uh, you know, an acceptance from a seller. Um, 120,000 is not a lot of money, but if you're buying a six unit or an eight unit out of state, you can easily achieve that with 120 grand. If you're talking about shopping center um, or office building, there is no pre-qual letter for those uh, because those are typically uh, underwritten by the property, uh, uh, property's income. And you can't really pre-qual a property that you don't know uh, where and how much income is producing yet. So um, in that, it, it, again, if it's residential apartments, yes, you should get a pre-qual letter. All right. And then Hisham's second question, he said, we're seeking a capital growth. We're seeking capital growth in the long term, uh, which I believe he's referring to the difference between capital growth and fixed income as mm -hmm. investment objectives. Does yep. our situation enable us to look for a good deal uh, in an office or apartment building to start with? Um, office building, I'm not so sure. Uh, 120,000, I don't think is enough to get into an office building. Um, you got to put 30% down. If it's capital growth, that means the property is, is mismanaged. That means doesn't probably debt service, uh, which means you're not going to be able to buy with 25% down. You probably have to go 40% down. And hundred twenty thousand dollars, you're gonna need twenty thousand for reserves. Hundred thousand divided by point four. So basically, uh, you can only buy something for two hundred fifty thousand dollars because forty percent of that is hundred grand. And there is not many office buildings I've ever seen for two hundred fifty grand. But apartments, uh, most definitely, if especially out of state. Awesome. And then third question. While checking on LoopNet, we realized some properties have in detail mm -hmm. stated opportunity zone. Is this a good thing to look at or not? Absolutely. Opportunity zones are a big, big, big plus. It's not a disadvantage, it's an absolute plus. Uh, the building I'm buying for a third time is in opportunity zone. And the building I sold last year next to it, 363, was also in opportunity zone. And um, investors uh, are definitely looking as a big plus if the property is in the zone because you can defer the income uh, for 10 years. Uh, also, any uh, price appreciation indefinitely, if you hold a property for 10 years, it's uh, going to be tax-free uh, federally, not statewide. But uh, So there's a lot of benefit uh, for long-term uh, you know, hold. Uh, it's also for development, you know, if you develop the property, you add hundreds of uh, thousands of dollars in value. Uh, that's also all tax-free uh, when you do sell the property after 10 years. So there's a lot of benefit. Yeah, so it's a big plus. Okay, uh, next question from Edward. He said, any tips or recommendations on how to negotiate a tenant's lease? If the lease is under market value and ending soon, what mm -hmm. is the best way to influence the tenant to take a higher lease? Well, first of all, you got to show good faith um, in improving the property, putting the money back into the property uh, that, in, you know, that would imply you would 
be proposing some improvements to the property, maybe uh, parking lot, maybe signage, maybe upgrade their signage if it's faded on the building. I'm assuming you're talking about a, a retail tenant. So uh, giving them a couple of reserve parking spots for their, you know, for the owner. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there is a lot of carrots you can throw in there. But more importantly, if you want to get uh, over market or market rent, you got to show good faith in putting and keeping up the property in tip top shape and giving them some uh, incentives, uh, you know, by giving them update on signing improvements, maybe a one month free rent if they do um, act on that renewal early uh, with a higher rent. Awesome. And then second question from Edward, are there any downsides of using cap rate when comparing properties? Based on the formula, if the mm -hmm. property market value increases and NOI stays the same, the cap rate will decrease. Is this bad? No, uh, nope. It just, that's the math. <laughs> if you pay more for a property, you're going to reduce the cap rate because that's just, uh, you know, it's nothing bad, but cap rate is what investors are willing to pay for that asset class. So I use cap rates more to evaluate my pro forma. Uh, what is my exit going to be? Because on a stabilized property for this particular asset class in this sub market, it's trading at say five cap, and I'm buying it, uh, you know, at a ten cap. Um, you know, based on pro forma, I could exit at five cap. That would be double the price, uh, you know, uh, on the exit. Uh, so it's just a, a way to evaluate property and your projections. It's not nothing other than that. Yeah. All right, next question from Mazi, good to see you. He said, hey Manny, can you talk more about the property you just bought again for the third time? <laughs> uh, what happened the first two times? How did you end up repurchasing it at this time? Well, I haven't bought it yet, but I have opened escrow. I just wired my deposit yesterday. I'm excited. Uh, it's simple, it's timing. Um, you know, almost every single time I've sold it, the market was in recovery or near the peak. Uh, 2007, uh, first time I sold it for 17 and a half million or 18 million. Uh, and then second time I uh, bought it was in Great Recession. As you guys know, a lot of office buildings took a beating. I bought it from the bank and then I sold it again 2015. Will pass the recovery of the Great Recession uh, for 18.5 million. And uh, the owner mismanaged it. He didn't know. Uh, he had no experience uh, owning an office building, especially on a high high rise with credit tenants in there. And he owned a bunch of apartments and he mistreated the tenants, didn't put money back in the property. And uh, as a result, he lost tenants, went from 90% occupancy uh, when I sold it uh, to 30% currently. So when you go from uh, that type of a drastic change on your occupancy you're definitely not going to be able to pay the loan and he did leverage it if i recall 70 percent um, at the time of purchase so i'm buying it for a third time every single time i bought it it was mismanaged i've improved those deficiencies within a three four years uh market as well has recovered because every time i bought it has been in a down cycle and so it's a combination of two things mismanaged and timing you know, the cycle. All right. 
And uh, Maji's follow-up question, what makes you want to sell your main office building now? He's referring to the HQ that we currently sit in. This building. Well, there is nothing more I can add in terms of value. I bought this for 100 bucks a foot. I'm trying to sell for 500 bucks a foot. Uh, uh, it's pretty much 100% occupied. That's number one. And number two, I've outgrown it. I need a bigger, um, you know, bigger property. And uh, so um, when I can't add any more value to property and I've held it enough, use the depreciation, uh, there is not a whole lot of benefits left for me or upside. And I tend to lose motivation holding it. All right. And then uh, Mike actually wanted to ask a question based on who's briefly. So uh -huh. the property that you bought for a third time, who proposed the property to you for your purchase each time? Well, Michelle Wogan reached out to me. She's the leasing agent and um, also the management company, Transwestern. Uh, she said, hey, guess what? I'm taking it back. Uh, when I get the listing, I'll let you know. Um, and she had to put it on LoopNet, so it was on LoopNet as well. The bank uh, asset manager always wants the you know the market to bid on assets they take back. Uh, it's part of their requirement. So they have uh, I think three or four offers, but she recommended me because I've owned it before. It's all cash. I'm closing in um, twenty days. Uh, so I got the deal. All right. Uh, next question from Jeffrey Lim. He said, how will the Omicron virus affect the market? I know you don't have a definite answer, but any thoughts on what might happen? Would it be another recession? And would it be the prime time to buy real estate? You must be watching CNN. <laughs> uh, no effect. Um, this has been two years in the making. <clears throat> and um, almost every business, specifically real estate, has already adapted. And, uh, you know, I think it's already, you know, people have made the adjustments there, uh, whether they're working from home or businesses that have given back space or they've put their space up for sublease. Um, okay, it may get a little bit worse, but I think the blunt of the damage is already done. So I'm not expecting lockdowns and all that mayhem all over again. All right, next question from Eileen. Good to see you as well. Uh, regarding a 1031 exchange, I will complete my fix and flip single family resident property in LA County by next week. Congrats. Um, I have never done 1031. However, I wondered if you think it would be ideal to do a 1031. Hmm. Um, well, first of all, congrats on uh, finding a lucrative, uh, you know, single family flip. Uh, you know, it depends how much is your gains, uh, number one. If your gains are minimal, obviously you've never done 1031, so your cost basis is what it is. It didn't get carried over. So whatever your gains are, and if you have other, um, you know, investments that had losses that you can offset, I would prefer not doing 1031. Um, and also it depends when uh, next year. Is it February or is it going to be December, October, December next year? and what the market looks like then. There is a lot of question marks, but the best thing uh, I can tell you is, uh, you know, elect to do a 1031 and see your options. And if you can't find anything that's lucrative, it doesn't make sense to sell something and get, you know, in a riskier asset just to avoid paying taxes. That doesn't make sense, right? So, you know, a lot of variables, but I would say elect to do a 1031. 
unless your gains are many minimal, you know, uh, but depends on timing and what the mar market's doing at the time. Eileen did clarify uh, her gains are 80K profit. 80,000? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, 80,000 is substantial. Um, I would definitely elect to do a 1031. A lot of times, you know, even if the market's not uh, ripe for, you know, distressed property or value add, you could switch asset classes. You could sell a single family home and then do a 1031 into a, you know, six unit, eight unit apartment that has below market rents. At least you can weather the storm with an apartment building and avoid paying those capital gain taxes and then add the value there do a cash out refinance and then when the market tanks you know deploy that into other you know uh, single family flips all right uh so guys we have a couple more questions that were sent in before the call but if you have additional questions go ahead and start dropping those in the comments and we'll switch over those next as we finish the videos. um so our next question is from chris he said on a 1031 exchange do you ever do a partial 1031 or do you pull the full amount on the equity to avoid taxes? Yeah, it's usually 100% 1031. There's been a couple of occasions where I had to pull some money out. So, it, you know, it, it created a boot um, on my 1031. So I paid partial taxes, but 99% of the time is all in 1031. All right. And our next question from Nelson. Uh, he said, when you're selling properties in a peak market to load up on cash for a possible downturn, do you do a 1031 exchange? I would say no, but if 90% of the deals you sell in 1031, when are you selling the properties? So the question is, if I do a 1031 in a down, sorry, repeat that again. Uh, he's asking when you're loading up on cash for a possible downturn, mm -hmm. do you do 1031 exchanges or are you taking the cash and sitting on it? Oh, well, first of all, I do a cash out refinance before I sell my properties or take some cookies off the table, uh, cash out refinance. And then when I do sell, I like to do 1031 exchange again to a property that's uh, going to be less risky and is still value add. Right. Uh, but by cash out refinance, I'm already raising cash. So whether I do 1031 or not, I have the cash, but, uh, in 2007, what I did, I sold about $130 million worth of high rises and I bought industrial building and shopping centers, uh, food line centers, specifically in North Carolina. And I did 1031. So I had a lot of gains and obviously didn't want to pay the taxes, but I did that. And that's how I weathered the great recession. And I was still able to pull cash out, uh, do, uh, you know, uh, by doing cash out refi. And I bought a lot more properties during the Great Recession. So it's a function of two, right? Cash out refi and also switch asset classes to something that's less risky. You can weather the storm. All right. Uh, now we're hopping over into the comments. And our first question is from Salome. Uh, so he said, if you're a beginner and have 100K to invest with, mm -hmm. what do you recommend investing in to start? You said, I hope to uh, be as good as you one day. You're my <laughs> idol. Thank you. Well, I would wait for a recession. Uh, it's coming. And I would buy a foreclosure or a distressed property, uh, specifically in residential area, uh, as a class, whether it's fourplex, duplex, even a single family. Um, 
that's what I would do. So be patient, watch the market, and uh, you know when the there is blood on the streets is when you're gonna make money. And but 100k, it's more than enough to get started. By the way, so uh, be patient. All right. Next question from Ed: When you're in negotiation and the building period, is it okay to talk to the seller directly, or is this handled through the listing broker? No, you're gonna piss off the listing broker. Uh, it's always good to go through the listing broker uh, to answer your questions, but you, there's nothing wrong for re for requesting a phone call with a seller, which listing broker would be on. Uh, it's buyer's interview. Sometimes a seller actually wants that before they choose their buyer. But you go through the broker. All right. And then hopping to our next question from Jesus. said, hey, Manny, I just completed my sixth flip this year. Congrats. Congrats. That's awesome. Um, so I really want to get into commercial or new construction. I have about 400000 to invest. What would you recommend to invest into? I'm leaning towards multifamily as well for passive income. The problem is there are two prices at the moment. Well, if you have 400000 liquid tax-free, I would sit on it. Um, you know, unless you find a value add that you could uh, do facelift or add value. Um, there are deals out there, uh, not often, but if you keep hunting, you may find one. But more importantly, the cycle isn't right yet. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of foreclosures yet, but it's definitely going to come down. Uh, and you want to be able to be in a position to take advantage of it. So if you get into a construction now or a deal, tie up your money, the problem is you're not going to be liquid to take advantage of it. So um, either find something that's a quick flip they can put a lipstick, add value, flip it. But I wouldn't get into a construction, uh, new construction in this, uh, you know, time and cycle. All right. We have our next question from Mike. He said, I recently went into escrow on a $5 million property. And at the buyer's agent's request, we went without any contingencies on a property that had underlying problems that we didn't know about. Hmm. Luckily, we were able to get out of escrow. Are there any contingencies you always want to include as a beginner investor? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you're going hard, they want, like I did on, you know, the Barrett Street, you definitely want to take your uh, general contractor or get a property inspection done. And you could do that before you, you know, open escrow or sign a PSA. Uh, yeah, you never want to go blind into a $5 million deal and then find that, hey, the property is settling in. You know, there is a, a structural problem or environmental problem um, or encroachment problem. Like there's a dispute between the neighboring properties saying, hey, your fence encroaches on my property by a foot <laughs> or 10 inches. And it's a concrete wall. Then it's going to cost you, you know, three, four hundred grand because it's a 120 feet concrete wall. You got to move six inches. All these things have happened um, to me in the past. So there is a lot that uh, is unforeseen. You don't want to go blind. Uh, that's why I like to put a contingency there for 30 days, due diligence. Uh, but if you are going to go hard day one and remove your physical inspection contingency, you want to definitely take a GC over there and just do a very thorough visual inspection and check the title report if there is anything recorded on there on the dispute. All right, next question from Enoch. Uh, would you buy a 30-year-old property 
Exonic ground lease for 50 years remaining. Nope. I've done that too. <laughs> I bought a property with 47 years left on the lease in Foothill Ranch. And I've had a very difficult time selling it because when I bought it, it was 2007 and now it's 14 days, uh, 14 years later. So I have, I think, 32 or 33 years left. Um, and as that uh, lease term diminishes year over year, you lose value. So there's a lot of decay on, on the value of your property because when that lease ends, you're going to either have to demolish the building or just hand it over to the landlord. So there, you know, leasehold improvements are never a good investment. Even if it's on a hundred year lease, um, you're going to have to sell it at a much higher cap rate because of that reason. You're, you're not selling it with the land. It's just an improvement. Not a good deal. That's like a leasing a car. <laughs> you don't own it. All right. And then um, our last question for the day from Ed. How do you value a cell tower? And are there different criteria that makes the value go up or down? Absolutely. Cell towers values are based on who the carrier is, uh, their credit, Verizon's the best. And then you have, you know, T-Mobile, Sprint, which there's, I don't know if they merge or not, but Verizon fetches the most, uh, 5.8 cap, I think is what I sold one of my Verizons for. But that's how you evaluate them based on the carrier quality. Some carriers are mom and pop, and you have to sum at a seven cap. But um, a lot of times, I would just use a six cap um, unless it's an unknown carrier. But typically, it's one of the top three. So. Okay, we did get a follow-up uh, question from Mike mm -hmm. um, on the initial one about pulling out an escrow with contingencies. He said, as a follow-up, it's a general due diligence period for thirty days, or were you referring to the CAR, which I believe is California um, Association of Realtors, Realtors uh, form inspection periods. Yeah, it's same. So um, on the residential, um, the car forms they have I think seventeen days uh, for homes and apartments, but commercial property is thirty to forty-five days. Is whatever you want to put in there, but thirty days is normal, and that includes all your contingencies: physical, title. Um, and survey environmental. Uh, I like to give myself minimum 30 days. If the property is uh, extensive with a lot of tenants, a lot of moving parts, then 45 days. All right. Well, uh, great questions. And uh, I, uh, I'm happy and welcome uh, the new members. Please make sure you guys network in the Facebook group. And uh, till next week, be safe, be well, and See you guys.